Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today we feature Adrian Rogers. Dr. Rogers was pastor at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, where he grew the membership from 9,000 members in 1972 to more than 29,000 by 2005. God's blessing on Adrian Rogers' ministry became even more evident with the birth of Love Worth Finding Ministries in 1987. Today, Adrian Rogers gives a sermon on dealing with depression. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been depressed? Silly question. Have you ever been depressed? Of course you have. As a matter of fact, John W. Stott, a great biblical expositor, said that the Christian's two chief occupational hazards are depression and discouragement. Now, when I talk about depression, what do I mean? What is depression? A psychologist has described depression this way. A feeling of helplessness and hopelessness that leads to sadness. I think that's a good definition. A person who is depressed has problems, real or imagined, and he doesn't seem to be able to get a hand on them. There's no help available. And that's compounded by the fact that there doesn't seem to be any help on the horizon. It is helplessness plus hopelessness that leads to this deep despondency, this sadness. Now, if you think perhaps that you're immune to depression and that it could never happen to you, I want you to look at the scripture that I've chosen for us today, and you're going to be amazed as we read this scripture together. First of all, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Numbers chapter 11 and verse 15, and I want you to read a prayer of Moses. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 15. You're going to be amazed when you see this prayer. Here is Moses speaking to the Lord, and he says, And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee. That is, God, if this is the way you're going to uh, treat me, then just go ahead and kill me. Kill me, I pray thee, out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. Now here was a man of God who felt so wretched, so miserable, so low down, so depressed, so discouraged that he said, Oh God, if you really loved me, <laughs> you would kill me. It's an amazing prayer. Then turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, if you will, please. 1 Kings chapter 19, and look with me in verse 4. This is the prayer of another prophet. His name was Elijah. And the Bible says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself, are you ready for this? That he might die. And he said, It's enough now, O Lord. That is, I've had it. <laughs> I've had it. It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father. That is, God, I've had it up to here. I'm ready to throw in the towel. Kill me if you really love me. All right, then I want you to turn to the book of Jonah and look with me in Jonah chapter 4. 
and verse 3, and you're going to find the third of these amazing prayers. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 3. Here's Jonah praying. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah says, God, stop this crazy world and let me off. I pray, kill me. Now listen, these were good men. These were men who loved God. These were eminently successful prophets. And if it could happen to them, I have an idea that it just might happen to you. So let's look and see if we can at the reason for this despondency. Let's find, first of all, the problems they faced. And then we're going to see the provision they found, okay? But first of all, what were the problems that they faced? As I've looked at the context of each of these prayers, I see in that context that each one of them faced three major problems. The first problem was a physical problem. There was a physiological reason that these men prayed the way they prayed. All three of them, are you ready for this? All three of them were physically worn out. They were worn to a frazzle, as we say colloquially. They were just slap dab worn out. Turn to Numbers chapter 11, if you will, please, again, and look at the prayer of Moses. And let's go back and, and look at uh, what preceded that prayer when he asked God to take away his life. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Who were the people that he was talking about? Well, Moses was leading them from Egypt to Canaan. You talk about a big church, he had about two million members. And they were all complaining. He pastored the first Baptist church in the wilderness. And he says, have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that thou shouldest say unto me, carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father, beareth the sucking child into the land which thou swearest unto thy fathers? Whence should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, give us flesh that we may eat. Now look in verse 14. Here's the key. I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. Now anybody can tell here was a man that was worn out. He had unbelievable burdens. Mary had a little lamb. It grew to be a sheep. It then became a pastor and died from lack of sleep. Now that's the way Moses was right here. I mean, he just was worn out physically. He said, I can't bear it. It's too much. I can't meet the needs. Well, what about Elijah? When he prayed this prayer, he'd been doing without food for a long time. Secondly, he had been emotionally strung out. We're going to get to that in a moment. Thirdly, he had just finished a 30-mile cross-country run. Could you do that? Here was a man whose strength was gone, he was worn out, he was physically debilitated, he was at the point of exhaustion when he said, Lord, I want you to take my life from me. And what about Jonah? <laughs> you talk about a fellow who'd had it, had a whale house for a jailhouse. As I've said before, spent the night on a foam blubber mattress. And then... He had just preached a citywide revival crusade in a city about the size of Philadelphia or one of these other major cities. Almost a million people 
in ancient Nineveh. And he didn't have a Holiday Inn or a Hyatt Regency to stay in, didn't have an automobile to ride in, didn't have a public address system. And here was a man who, on top of all of that, the Bible says, that a hot wind from the east blew upon him and the sun smote upon him. He almost had a sunstroke. And it was at that time that he said, Oh God, please take away my life from me. You see, each of these men were physically worn out. Now, friend, I want to tell you something. When you are physically worn out, you are getting to be a candidate for depression. Vince Lombardi, the great coach of the Green Bay Packers. By the way, every great coach is somewhat of a psychologist. Did you know that? He knows more than football. He knows people. Vince Lombardi said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. So there was a physiological problem. They were physically worn out. But also, there was a psychological problem. They were emotionally wrought up, physically worn out, emotionally wrought up. If you study uh, these uh, scriptures again, you'll find out, for example, that uh, Moses had what we call a people problem. He had his eyes on other people. He said, I'm not able to bear all this people alone. And he says in Numbers 11, verse 11, And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? There were people just coming at him, coming at him, coming at him. And, and they were always asking him for things that he couldn't provide. He was emotionally overloaded. They were weeping and they were saying, Moses, it, it's your fault. And, and Moses now is just, his emotional fuse is getting very, very short. Depression comes when we get emotionally overloaded. Over in Exodus chapter 18, beginning in verse 13, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses stood to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from the morning until the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, that's very interesting, all that he did to the people. you think he'd say all that he did for the people. Friend, all he did to the people. I want to tell you something. A preacher who's always available isn't worth much when he is available. Did you know that? Here was Moses from can to can't. From daybreak to sunset, standing there, counseling, counseling, counseling. And Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people and said, What is this thing thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? And then he said later on, The thing that you do, Moses, is not good. Moses was emotionally drained. He was giving of himself and giving of himself and giving of himself. And every time you give of yourself, something goes out of you. Even that woman who touched the hem of the garment of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, Jesus said, virtue went out of me. Something went out of me. All right, now listen, listen. What about uh, uh, Moses then? He had a people problem. What kind of a psychological problem did uh, Elijah have? He had a pity problem. He was uh, drinking from the intoxicating cup of self-pity. 
Read in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. The Bible says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself, just underscore that, for himself that he might die. And he said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. That's a very interesting statement. You can see now that he's taking his eyes off the Lord. He's requesting something for himself. He says, I'm no better than other people. Somehow, evidently, he had thought for a while that he was better than other people. I don't know who told him he was better than his father. It must have been his mother. <laughs> and here he is. Now he's drinking from the intoxicating cup, I say, of self-pity. Now the reason that he is pitying himself is that Jezebel has just made a promise to him. Jezebel was a wicked queen of Israel, married to that wicked king Ahab. And she just made a promise to the preacher. She said, I'm going to make you a foot shorter at the top before the sun goes down. That is, I'm going to take your head from you. I'm going to behead you. And by the way, he's not the last preacher who's had a fit of depression over some long-tongued Jezebel either. <laughs> and here he is out there. Now, now listen, I don't believe that he really wanted to die. I mean, honestly, folks. The Bible says he just ran a day's journey from her. If he really wanted to die, all he'd have to do is sit still. Jezebel would take care of him. Amen? <laughs> I mean, he's just feeling sorry for himself. I don't think any of these men literally actually wanted to die. But he's wallowing in self-pity. Moses had a people problem. Elijah had a pity problem. And old Jonah, he had a pout problem. He didn't like the way God was doing things. Let me read what Jonah said here. Jonah chapter 4, and you remember it's in chapter 4 that he, uh, he asked God to kill him. But you have to back up a little bit and see what he said before that. Uh, God sent a mighty revival, but the Bible says in Jonah 4 verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. That's his emotional problem. Now, he's very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I know that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now why was he angry? He was angry because God sent revival. Well, why didn't he want God to send revival? Well, in the first place, he'd prophesied judgment and revival came. Now his reputation as an evangelist was ruined. But I'm being a little facetious. Let me tell you something. He was a super patriot. He loved Israel. He said, God, I know the way you work. If I go down and preach judgment, you'll send revival. That's the reason why I didn't want to go to begin with. And here he is pouting at God, angry with God. Now let me tell you something about depression, folks. Depression comes many times when something we love and value very much is threatened or taken from us. It may be a possession. It may be a loved one. It may be some hope. But when that is threatened or taken from us and we have unresolved grief, that depression turns to anger. There are a lot of bitter, angry people who are on the second stage of depression because the thing that they love and hope for has been threatened. And that's the way this prophet was. But let me tell you something, folks. You can look at all three of these men and before they prayed and asked God to take away their lives, every one of them had a deep emotional, psychological problem. 
Moses a people problem, Elijah a pity problem, Jonah a pout problem, Moses had his eyes upon others, Elijah had his eyes upon himself, Jonah had his eyes upon circumstances, but none of them had their eyes upon God. They were emotionally wrought up. Emotionally wrought up. Now, now watch this. Not only were they physically worn out, not only were they emotionally wrought up, but it was at that time they became spiritually run down. Now the devil is a master strategist. And the devil knows exactly when to move in on you and to attack you with a fit of despondency and to take your eyes from the Lord. Now these people, all three of them at that particular time, were in spiritual disrepair. I mean anybody who prays such a prayer as this. And I want to ask the question, first of all, when I talk about people who were spiritually run down, who? Prophets of God, men of God, men who love God. Are you listening? The ministry is not immunity. And God's servants, I don't care whether they be in the pew or the pulpit, cannot break God's law with impunity. The law of gravity works for the saved and the lost alike. You step out of the balcony and you'll find it out. I mean, if you don't use the stairs. The law, you don't break God's law of gravity, you just demonstrate it. You're broken on it. Whether you're saved or lost, to make any difference. There are certain principles and you transgress those principles. These were men of God. They love God. All right, that's who. Now I want to ask you when. When did they get in trouble? Well, they got in trouble spiritually when they were already in trouble physically and psychologically. I want you to understand that. You see, the devil is a master strategist, as I've said. The kind of friend you have in the devil is if you were in quicksand, he'd pat you on the head. He knows when you're in difficulty, and that's when he moves in. There's an interesting passage of Scripture over here in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25, verse 17. God said to Moses, Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when ye were come forth out of Egypt? How he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, that is, the ones who were the stragglers, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary. This satanically inspired enemy watched the people of Israel and he said, I'm not going to attack the strong ones. I'm going to find those who are faint. I'm going to find those who are weak. Now folks, when you are physically and emotionally wrung out and worn out and wrought up, you're sitting duck for Satan. He sees the advantage. Now watch it. Not only that, but they were all coming off of a great emotional high. I mean, really, they were all coming off of a great spiritual victory. Moses had just come through the miracles of the Exodus and had just come through the Red Sea, dry shod. You'd think a man like that would be on the mountaintop forever, wouldn't you? Yet he's down in the valley wanting to die. When did Elijah pray and say, God, kill me? In chapter 19, what happened in chapter 18? A mountaintop revival on Mount Carmel. 
I mean, when fire came down from heaven and, and the people fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And, and listen, from the showdown to the letdown, from the mountaintop to the valley, with His head between His knees, standing before 450 prophets of Baal and now running before one woman. It's amazing. Right on the heels of a great spiritual experience, now a great depression and a great letdown. What about Jonah? After a citywide revival. You've never seen a revival like that. I never have. Uh, an entire city repented in sackcloth and ashes. And right on the heels of that great emotional crisis and crescendo, now he's down in the valley. Hey, folks, you'd be surprised how many people there are who are depressed after the holidays. It's almost as if we get built up to be knocked down. Now, you don't have to be that way. You see, Jesus uh, went through exactly the same thing. When did the devil tempt Jesus 40 days in the world? You listen, remember? Number one, a great spiritual experience. He had just been baptized. I mean, the Holy Spirit of God had descended upon him like a dove in his baptism. But on top of that, now he's physically worn out 40 days fasting in the wilderness. Then cometh the devil. Hmm? Sure. But he didn't win with Jesus. He doesn't have to win with you. But I'm just trying to tell you, folks, there is a principle, there is a time. And why did they get in all of his trouble? Because they had taken their eyes off the Lord and put their eyes either on people or on self or upon circumstances. And any Christian is going to get depressed when he does that. Now, there was a physiological reason. There was a psychological reason there was a spiritual reason. They were worn out, wrought up, run down spiritually, and they got depressed. All right, that's the problem they faced. Now let's talk for a few moments about the provision they found. What did God do for these people? Hey, folks, let me ask you a question. We thank God for answered prayer. Have you ever thanked God for unanswered prayer? You better. I mean, wouldn't we be in the soup if God always heard our prayers? God, kill me. <laughs> you did. <laughs> oh, how we thank God that He doesn't always hear our prayers. For we know not what we should ask for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Hallelujah. God doesn't always give us what we want. He gives us what we need. What a great God we have. And God knew these men. And God knew the stuff that they were made of. And God wasn't like so many of us. God did not mistake the moment for the man. God knew they were having a bad spell. God knew they were in a fit of depression. So what did God do for them? Well, think what God did for them physically. And I think it would be a blessing to all of us. What did He do for Moses physically? Well, He gave Moses 70 elders to help him. Numbers 11, verse 16, And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there. And I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and I will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, and thou shalt not bear it thyself alone. Amen. You just can't do it all, Moses. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. Most of us are going to get physically worn out when we're doing things God never intended for us to do. Isn't that right? 
There's enough time in every day to do gracefully everything God wants us to do. Now Moses was doing something God didn't want him to do and he was calling it serving God. Serving God. He was calling it doing something for the people. Jethro said, you're doing something to the people. There's some things in our life, you need to make a list of everything you're doing you think so all fired important. We need to eliminate some things, delegate other things, and then dedicate the rest. Hmm? And there's some things other people can do. That's what Moses learned to delegate. And other things you just plain eliminate. Now, a God made a physical provision for Moses. What about Elijah? God made a physical provision for Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 5. And he lay and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. Isn't that precious? He said, Kill me. He says, Here, son, here's something good for you to eat. And he looked, and behold, it was a cake baking on the coals. You talk about angel food cake. Now, friend, that was. And a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink, and laid him down again. Big meal, and then off for another snooze. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. Sounds pretty good to me, because the journey is too great for thee. You see, he's worn out. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And there was a cave up there and he just dwelled in that cave. God gave him a vacation. He had a retreat center and bread from heaven's bakery and water from heaven's wells and there he's just resting. You know what some of you may need? Vacation. Plain vacation. You say, Amen. <laughs> Amen. We'll take it. You say, I can't. Well, David said, The Lord is my resort. You need somewhere, somehow, even if you can't go away, to get away with God. There was a French philosopher. He said, I have so much to do today, I simply must go to bed. Amen. Listen, friend, God knows that you need rest. You think you're doing something for God when you're running around, always never resting? You think you're a superman? Listen, let me tell you something, friend. The Bible says it's vain to rise up early and to stay up late to eat the bread of sorrows. He gives his beloved sleep. That's what the Bible says. He gives his beloved sleep. It's vain to do that, not to get your rest. You need to rest. Jesus said to his disciples, Come ye apart and rest a while. That's what Jesus said. He knew they needed rest. All right, and what did God do for Jonah? Let's look here and, and see what God did for Jonah. Jonah chapter 4, verse 6. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow that he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head. Now, underscore this next phrase, to deliver him from his grief. Isn't that tender of the Lord? Jonah built him a pastorium, and God air-conditioned it. And God caused a beautiful, luxurious, green, soft, tender vine to come up and just grow all over that thing so he could get back there in the shade and cool down. And the Bible says that God did that for this purpose, to deliver that man from his grief. God knew that he had a physical need. Now, if you're depressed, it may be, folks, that you need to go see a doctor, get a checkup. 
It may be that you need rest. It may be that you need a vacation. It may be that you need a change of diet. And the answer, though deeply spiritual, may be intensely practical. Okay? Now, that's the physical provision God made. What did God do psychologically for these fellows? Moses saw people, but God gave Moses a promise. And God said, if you read that chapter, Moses, the battle is not yours, it's mine. You look to me, I will take care of them. What did God do to Elijah? God showed Elijah a power. He was afraid of a woman. And God said, all right, you're afraid of all this sound and fury. Sit up here in the mountains, I want to show you something. And God caused an earthquake to come through the land. God wasn't in the earthquake. God caused a mighty fire to come, and God wasn't in the fire. God caused a tornado and a wind, and God wasn't in the wind. Then there was a still, small voice, and that was God. Folks, look, we get all blown out of shape by earthquake, wind, and fire. Tune in to God. Get alone with God. In quietness and confidence, possess your souls. The Greek word for soul is psyche. Possess your psyche. Yes, for pity, God showed him power. And then what about old Jonah? For his pout, God gave him a perspective. God had to take away the gourd vine for a while so he could see that entire city out there. God gave him a new perspective and God said, Hey, son, get your eyes off yourself. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're white under harvest. Psychologically, God gave each of these men something to take the place of that inward look that they had. And then spiritually, what did he do for them? He just loved them, brought them back to himself, and used them. He carried them in his heart and in his bosom. God loves you so much. Oh, he loves you. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. And though we deny him, he cannot deny himself. He abides faithful. And I thank God that the story of these men did not end in depression. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Draw nigh unto God. He will draw nigh unto you. Father, I pray, I pray now that you'll help us Dear Lord, when we get discouraged and depressed, Lord, that you'll just do a radical surgery on our psyches. Bring us back, Lord, to the simple but the precious things that really count. Today's sermon by Adrian Rogers was provided courtesy of The Love Worth Finding Ministries. Find more great content on their website, Love Worth Finding at lwf.org. That's lwf.org. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.